I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Cool Canadian History. I'm your host, David Boris. Today, Season 3, Episode 7, Canadian Comics, and the Second World War Effort. Today's episode is actually written by a colleague and a friend of mine. This episode was written by Dr. Cord Scott. Cord has a doctorate in American history from Loyola University Chicago and currently serves as a traveling collegiate faculty for the UMUC Asia. He is the author of Comics and Conflict, Patriotism and Propaganda from World War II through Operation Iraqi Freedom, published by the U.S. Naval Institute Press. He has written for several encyclopedias, academic journals, such as the International Journal of Comic Art, the Journal of Popular Culture, the Journal of the Illinois State Historical Society, and in several books on aspects of cultural history. His most recent work is on genetics in superhero comics, featured in the Journal of Monsters and the Monstrous. As you can probably tell, today's theme is about comic books. Comic books have a universal quality to them. Regardless of one's grasp of language, comic books allow the reader to insert themselves into the action of the story by way of the simple, exciting four-color pictures. Comic books have a unique North American flavor as a part of popular culture and as a part of history. For example, one former Toronto resident who had relocated to Cleveland, Ohio, was Joe Schuster. His Jewish roots, combined with his quote-unquote foreign status to the area, made him an outcast of sorts. However, When he teamed up with Jerry Siegel, the two created Superman, a new comic book character that would forever alter the medium. While comics have always been perceived as uniquely American, comic books have been associated with Canada from the beginning of the medium's publication in the 1930s. During the Second World War, this new medium played a role in promoting the Canadian war effort to Canada's youth. The stories appealed to young readers while also informing them of the war in Europe. The recommended reading for today's episode is, of course, by Cord Scott. It is Comics in Conflict, Patriotism and Propaganda from World War II Through Our Operation Iraqi Freedom, published by the U.S. Naval Institute Press. If you like war history, if you like cultural history, then you will like this book. A reminder, you can find us on Facebook, you can find us on SoundCloud, and of course you can find us on all your podcast listening devices, and we are of course at our home, coolcanadianhistory.com. There, if you are so inclined, you can donate to the podcast via PayPal or Patreon. All donations are extremely helpful in allowing us to continue to bring you this podcast. And don't forget, you can also find me on Twitter, at DocBoris, that's at D-O-C-B-O-R-Y-S. Now on with the show. The production of comics during the Second World War was really part of the larger total war effort, where all Canadian citizens, workers, businesses, and even entire industries, including cultural industries, were geared towards supporting the war effort. To gain greater Canadian readership, 
as well as promote the propaganda of the Allied war effort, the comic books of the Second World War became part of this total war effort, using real Canadian figures to transmit the fighting message. Interestingly, many of the Canadian issues made their way into the U.S., especially during the early years of the war when the United States was still neutral. This served to promote the Allied war effort within American society. True Comics was one of the most popular comic book series produced in Canada. Many of the stories in True Comics tried to incorporate the actions of Canadian servicemen. One such story was of 1st Canadian Army Commanding Officer Andrew McNaughton, featured in True Comics number 20, January 1943. This five-page story was one of how a simple country boy from Saskatchewan worked his way up the ranks through sheer determination and his love of science. The story noted McNaughton's service in the First World War and how he would climb into enemy tanks after battle to study the contraptions for himself, thereby exposing himself to danger rather than relying on his subordinates. His training regimen was essential for keeping men safe in combat, the comic book noted by utilizing the old axiom, the more sweat in training, the less blood in combat. The U.S. Rangers get their baptism of fire at Dieppe, featured in War Heroes No. 3, January to March 1943, told of the raid on Dieppe, France, and certainly can be considered a fairly heavy dose of wartime propaganda considering the abject failure of the Dieppe raid. The story told was that of an elite commando raid that achieved greater success than was ever presented in the media. The illustrations depicted General James Roberts, who was the commander of 2nd Canadian Infantry Division, and told of how the raid was executed with clock-like precision and perfect coordination, and that all objectives had been won despite fierce fighting. Even the withdrawal from Dieppe itself was precise and maintained a military schedule. What was also of significance was that the story featured a history of Dieppe, maps of the area and the assault, and that it was a joint operation, not only between the Canadians, British, and American commandos, but also of the sea, air, and land forces. Not surprisingly, the story was one that was uplifting and praised the forces for their sacrifice and fighting abilities. This was a perfect example of how comic books could be used for propaganda purposes. When the exploits of the Canadian Air Forces were presented in Canadian comics, many of the early stories were of either Canadian participation in the First World War or stories that exemplified the war effort early on in the Second. Some stories tried to link both wars, such as the story of Billy Bishop, a Canadian fighter pilot who became one of the top aces in all of the British Empire during the First World War, and an honorary air marshal of the Royal Canadian Air Force in the Second World War. His story was one of triumph, showcasing how Canadian pilots had defeated the Germans before and therefore would do it again. Not all of the air stories centered on fighter pilots, though. Some featured Canadian pilots engaged in anti-submarine warfare and the dangers of ditching their planes at sea. One such comic, Adrift in the North Atlantic, in Real Heroes No. 11, Autumn 1943, tells the story of a Canadian PBY Canso pilot on an anti-submarine patrol off the coast of Nova Scotia when it encountered severe weather. The pilot, 
Squadron leader Richardson ordered the crew to abandon ship and parachute to safety after the plane ran out of gas. The four men landed on an ice floe and were on the ice for five days before being rescued. In typical aplomb, Richardson noted as they were being rescued that tomorrow's the big hockey game between the RCAF and the Navy. We wouldn't miss that for anything. As a way to engage female readers as well as emphasize the cooperation of science and technology with new forms of combat, readers of True Comics were given the story of Elsie McGill, who was a graduate of engineering at the University of Toronto in the late 1920s. After graduating and working on her master's in aviation from the University of Michigan, she was studying for her finals when she developed polio. She took her exams while bedridden and later learned to walk with crutches. After working for Canadian Car and Foundry and designing the McGill Training Aircraft, she was placed in charge of the production program to build hurricanes for the Royal Air Force and the Royal Canadian Air Force, with the first planes coming off the assembly line a mere four months later, a desperately needed boost to Allied war material demands. She was also responsible for the aeronautical de-icer. She was portrayed as both sensitive and brilliant, and her story was one of the triumph of the human spirit rather than a straightforward war story. It was a way, hopefully, to bring in female readers to what often seemed like a male-centered genre while still having action and war-related themes. As with the other branches, the Navy was also featured in the comics produced for both the United States and Canadian markets. Given the threat of submarines off of the coast of North America, the Navy presented a close line of defense, a sort of physical barrier between North America and the Nazis. Despite this, stories about the Navy were limited in their number and limited in their scope. Those stories that were told exemplified the heroics of the Royal Canadian Navy as well as other branches of the Canadian government, such as the RCMP, that utilized ships to patrol the shores. These stories continually reinforced the total war effort of all the forces and were meant to inspire readers as to the united war effort, as well as warn readers, that all of us were in harm's way. One such story was that of the Assiniboine and its patrols off the Canadian coast in 1940. The crew of the Assiniboine was responsible for checking ships for proper registration and prohibiting smugglers or Axis vessels from disrupting commerce in Canadian waters. One ship that was searched claimed its name and registry as the SS Christina, out of Trinidad. However, the crew recognized that the ship was a one smokestack, not two stacks, as originally noted in the manifest. The crew was recognized as German, and the vessel identified as the SS Hanover, which was subsequently captured. This gained the crew of the Assiniboine glory, and by the next year, the ship was an escort for none other than Winston Churchill himself. The crew took great delight in having such a distinguished person aboard. So much was the admiration for Winnie, Winston Churchill's nickname, that when he dropped cigar ash in the captain's quarters, the crew circled the area to mark where the great man had stood. The final six pages of the story told of the duel that often took place between German subs and Allied ships. Despite being injured during an exchange of fire between the two ships, the Assiniboine emerged victorious. In the last panel, again the story comes through loud and clear. It says, and I quote, And today the proud crew of the Assiniboine is back scouring the seas, seeking their next foe. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The story Danger at Daybreak recounts the exploits of the HMCS Georgian, a Canadian minesweeper. The ship was on patrol in October of 1943, and after seeing a flare, turned to investigate in the fog-shrouded weather. They had to sail into a dangerous ice floe, where they discovered a 10-man crew of an American aircraft that had crash-landed. For the crew of the ship, the Georgian, it was merely another rescue. But for the Americans, it was obviously a life-saving event. The mutual respect between the two was demonstrated with the last line in the panel, where, after the Canadians claimed that it was just a routine mission, the American commander said, Maybe so, but we sure hope you Canadians are around every time we need rescuing. I think what is really interesting is that the Second World War, as a subject matter and material for comic books, did not stop when the Second World War ended. More recent comic books that have used the war as a format or have told of the combat in World War II include 1943, The Road to Ortona by Severio di Tulli, published in 1998 by Legas Publishing, and Two Generals by Scott Chandler, which was published by Stewart Publishing in 2010. The former was written as a basic history of the Ortona campaign and the experiences of the military as well as the civilian population in that desperately fought over town. The latter, two generals, is a recollection of the two young lieutenants with the Canadian Light Infantry and their experiences while in England and France. Unlike comics that are mostly fantasy, these two are examples of how to tell the war stories through a visual medium such as comic books or graphic novels, as they are now often referred to. Though a bit of fantasy still has a place in the Canadian Second World War narrative and comic books. For instance, the famous Marvel character Wolverine has, in publications over the last decade, been shown as fighting in both the First and Second World War for his home country of Canada, and sometimes even on special assignment with the American Army. See the series Wolverine Origins. The most recent entry into the graphic novelization of Canadian efforts in the Second World War was the book Canada at War, a graphic history by Paul Curie and Michael Wyatt. This graphic novel, published in 2012, tells of the entire history of the Canadian military and includes some of the stories told in Canadian Heroes, Especially in the 21st century, where there are a myriad of entertainment options to explore, Canada at War serves as a way for readers, especially younger ones, to understand the complexity, sacrifice, and valor of those who served in a war that finished almost 75 years ago. The concept of utilizing war heroes in comics is an essential part of comic book history. While the American comic books dominated the overall North American market, comic book creators in Canada recognized the gallantry of Canadian Armed Forces personnel from the start of the war in 1939 and recognized the viable market for these comics in the context of the total war effort. 
Due to the very nature of the comics, cheap paper and fast production, handling by many people, many have been lost to time or have sadly been destroyed. However, the contribution of the Canadians to the action in comics was demonstrated with all the excitement that four colors could offer. Unfortunately, there was a marked shift away from many of the Canadian theme stories by the later part of 1943. You see, by that time, American creators were focusing on the stories of Americans in combat and their valor against the odds. Since the Canadians were enmeshed with Allied forces in France by this time, the focus of the comics was mostly on American soldiers. Regardless, the stories all concentrated on a main theme, the idea of Allied cooperation to get the job done and defeat the Nazis in Europe. And to that end, the comics did in fact promote the Canadian and, in turn, the Allied war effort. A reminder, you can find us on iTunes, you can find us on Facebook, you can find us on SoundCloud, and you can find us at our website, www.coolcanadianhistory.com, and of course you can find me on Twitter, at DocBoris, that's at D-O-C-B-O-R-Y-S. I want to thank you for listening. For Cool Canadian History, I'm David Boris. Take care.